Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and Off the Course, the podcast where I talk with golf course superintendents, directors of agronomy, directors of green and ground, other turf heads about literally anything other than their job. I'm Matt Lowell, managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and over the course of the next hour or so, I have another Matt on the podcast, Matthew Gourlay. Matt Gourlay, director of golf course operations at Colbert Hills Golf Course in Manhattan, Kansas, home course of the Kansas State Wildcats. Great guy and a busy, busy traveler recently. He's gone from Kansas to the UK to Orlando to California, back to Kansas. We got him, I think it was his first or second day back in the central time zone. Uh, So we talk with him about that travel, about what he's been doing lately in the industry. But we also talk about him growing up in the industry. He's a third-generation golf course superintendent. Uh, His father is still in the industry. His grandfather was a golf course superintendent for more than 50 years. We also talk about lots and lots of other things, including golf course equipment uh, history. And for at least a few seconds, the Canadian actor Eugene Levy pops up. Before we get to that, a quick thank you to our sponsor, AquaAid Solutions. For over 30 years, AquaAid Solutions has been helping turf managers around the world develop comprehensive agronomic plans to produce healthy, environmentally aware, safe, natural grass playing surfaces. They're proud to deliver best-in-class solutions for management of key elements for a healthy and sustainable plant system. And their solutions include wetting agents, soil surfactants, calcium and potassium products, and worm power turf, all of which help the end user, you guys, optimize your agronomic programs. Incorporating AquaAid Solutions' technologically advanced active ingredients with cutting-edge equipment tech in IMANTS, Vrito Seeders, and Seagro Mobile Grow Systems, Turf managers are offered synergistic solutions delivering long-lasting agronomic value, improved aesthetics, and playability. So our thanks go out to AquaAid Solutions for sponsoring Off the Course, and our thanks also to Matt Gourlay, who you'll hear from in about 15 seconds. As I mentioned on the intro, our guest today, Matt Gourlay, a lot of you, if you're listening to the podcast, already know him. He is, of course, a CGCS. He's a master greenkeeper. He's the 2018 GCS AA Environmental Leader in Golf Award winner, the 2015 uh, Superintendent of the Year from one of our competitors. Uh, He also came back from GIS this year with a just a rainbow on his his, uh, name tag, a ribbon rainbow of about eight. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, during most of the time, he finds himself in Manhattan, Kansas, at Colbert Hills, uh, running that beautiful golf course. Matt Gourlay, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And you're finally back on Central Time. Before we started recording, you had mentioned you were on the road for 18, maybe almost technically 19 days from Kansas to the UK to Orlando to California and now back into Kansas. How is your body doing after 10 flights in 19 days? Uh, you know, it was, uh, <clears throat> it, it, it wasn't fun to sit on an airplane, uh, that many times in, in that long. So, um, you know, my, my behind is a, a little sore. My body aches. I've drank more coffee here in the last 24 hours to try to square up my, my, my mind and body to figure out what time zone I'm in. Do you know what time zone you're in? 
Uh, I'm assuming central. Uh, I'm just fortunate so. that my wife didn't change the uh, locks to the house <laughs> when I came back. And uh, do you wear a watch? You have to change the time on your watch, or are you like an Apple Watch guy where it changes automatically? Uh, that's that's old technology. I just I just use my phone. I pull huh. my phone out, automatically changes for you. It's fantastic. Gotcha. So I do want to dive into your incredible family history here on the podcast today. You are a third generation golf course superintendent. Uh, some great great stories from there, and obviously a great great family history. Uh, anybody who knows the game of golf knows your family surname. Before we get into that, though, I just want to touch on your on your January because this is this is impressive, and you packed a lot into the first month of the year. We're about ten percent of the way through the year, and you accomplished more in January than a lot of people will all year, I think. So just just to run down the highlights, first off, you before you even started your travels, you received another award from ELGA. Um, the Environmental Leaders in Golf Awards. You got the Natural Resource Conservation Award. That's uh, given out by the GCSAA in Golf Digest. And the the uh, reasoning for getting your second ELGA in the last three years now, adding more than 100 acres of native areas to Colbert Hills, uh, saving an estimated 72 million gallons of water annually. That's impressive. Uh, you implemented a conservation program that resulted in an almost 60% reduction in energy. You're saving the course 20 grand a year, so that's some real ROI. That's a heck of a way to start the year, and I think you got that award at GIS, right? Uh, yes. Um, you know, they, they give those awards out to individuals, but at, at, the, at the end of the day, for us, it was uh, our team here at Cobert Hills, and so our golf course superintendent, Shane Rangstorf, and uh, our assistant superintendents, uh, Derek Price and Chris Glover, our equipment manager, Shane Picorni, uh, amongst all the other individuals uh, that work with us over the past few years, um, you know, they're the ones that help us become better stewards of the land. It's not just my ideas, it's our ideas. We come to a consensus, and it's, it's, it's a real team here. And so uh, I might get my name on the plaque in recognition, but those these are the guys that, uh, you know, are working day in, day out, and really helping change the environment for us. Always great when a leader kind of deflects the the praise and the admiration. So it, it it's a it's a cliche to say, but sound like a, a pretty good guy to work for. I think. Well, I would hope so. You know, I've never worked for myself, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really enjoy um, you know the individuals that work with me here at, at Covert Hills. Um, you know, our management staff have, have been with me. Um, the longest is uh, almost seven years, and, and the shortest is four. And so, that's the the longest that we've that we've had. You know, we're uh, <clears throat> Covert Hills is located in a college town, and so typically we have a lot of uh, turnover just because of the nature uh, of us trying to be as efficient as possible. And labor is fairly cheap with college students. You know, we have. A town population of uh, I think fifty thousand, uh, and then once school's in session, there's twenty thousand students that we could potentially grab that we could utilize for minimum wage. So we hire for you know a spring crew, a summer crew, and a fall crew. And so for <clears throat> for us to have these individuals here with me for you know four to seven years has has been remarkable. And so I'm very fortunate and blessed to have these guys work with me. After getting that award, which again has your name on it, but goes to everybody uh, on your staff. 
you went out to the UK, you achieved Biga Master Greenkeeper designation. I think the others were uh, David McGregor of Westwood, uh, Andrew Sprunt of uh, Florissant City, and Bob Vahey of Rolling Hills. Pretty good group there. That must have been a blast, even if you were flying in the middle seat all the way from Manhattan, Kansas, to, or I guess you fly out of Kansas City, to uh, yeah. <clears throat> to, to, to the U.K.? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was unreal. I mean, it was, uh, you know, when I first went, I went to uh, Biga's uh, turf conference called BTME, I think three or four years ago, and I, I watched uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Matthew Wharton, um, go across the stage and, and obtain his uh, MG. And after, you know, after that conference, I, uh, I decided to make it a goal of mine to, to achieve that. And so after a couple of years and, and some trials and tribulations, I was finally able to pass the uh, Master Greenkeeper accreditation. And um, our club here was, was thrilled and, and uh, helped, helped me get over there and, and achieve it. And so what really made it special was um, my dad went, went over there with me. And so my dad's a general manager down in, uh, down in Florida. And I tried to go see them a, a couple times in the last few months. First time I tried to go see them was uh, Category 5 was barreling down on South Florida, and it, it stopped just shy of Florida and, you know, hung a sharp right and went straight north and fortunately missed them. But um, And then my second time I tried to go, I had my wife and son with me, and we were driving to the airport to Kansas City, which is two hours from us, and I probably made it 30 minutes outside Manhattan on the highway, and uh, a couple deer came across the road. We locked up the brakes. I spawned, rolled the vehicle one and a half times, and uh, wasn't going to make it to go see my folks again, but uh, just glad that we walked away unscathed and uh, called up somebody from uh, from work to come pick us up because I didn't want to pay for an ambulance ride back to Manhattan. Good grief. When was that? That was fairly recently? That was, that was, uh, it was uh, October 30th, which was also my wife's birthday, so it was a great birthday surprise for her. I, I rolled her vehicle. It lasted nine years to the day because we purchased it on her, on her birthday in uh, 2010, and so nine years later on her birthday, we rolled it, and so she's, I think she's happy now uh, because uh, we got a newer car for her. Um, you know, we were talking about maybe getting a, uh, another one, but um, just so fortunate, you know, we, we rolled it and, uh, I was so panicked, you know, I have a two-year-old son, he was in the back seat. he never cried, nothing, he was asleep when we rolled it, he woke up and he was dangling, um, because we were on the side, and, uh, he was just, he was happy the whole time, I'm just so fortunate. Not a bump, not a scrape, not a bruise, not even a cry from him, so it was, it was awesome, just very fortunate for that. We have a, a three-and-a-half-year-old, and so a little bit ahead of you in terms of the time, but... I always do look back, and I think, you know, if we're rear-ended or if we get in a crash or, heaven forbid, what happened to you just a few months ago, if we roll over, like, she is in the safest spot in the car back there, like, being totally strapped in. that Those car seats are almost impenetrable, so I'm glad to hear that he's okay. I'm not surprised since you pro- properly installed the seat, but uh, I-, I always think that you know, the kids in the back seat and the car seats are probably the safest in any of those collisions. Yeah, you know, they get the second, you know, the, the car is pretty safe, and then, you know, the secondary containment of the car seat is pretty good. We don't normally endorse products uh, on the show, but the fact that you rolled this car one and a half times and you all walked away without a bump, do you want to say what, what make and model you were driving? 
Uh, I can. I mean, it was a 07 Ford Escape, okay. um, which is a little top-heavy, so it, it really helped us roll, I guess. I mean, if, if we were in a, a, a car or something, I don't think we would have rolled, but um, you know, SUVs are just known to have the rollover. Man, well, I didn't realize that that was three months ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're all okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, same here, but um, that's what, you know, helped make it special seeing my old man over in uh in england we met up in in dublin and ireland then we took a, a flight over and uh we hung out and uh we went to the turf conference there um at btme for a few days and he was he was there cheering me on getting my uh master greenkeeper designation so it was uh, a special moment for me and i know we'll talk about him here in a few minutes a couple more things to highlight your january uh, after you came back from the UK, you flew directly to Orlando, and you did so much at GIS. Uh, I know we touched base uh, during one of your seminars. You were hosting, you were moderating a really, really good seminar uh, with Carlos Araya of Bell Reeve and Alex Studeman of TBC Deer Run uh, and Andrew Wilson of Bethpage. So you want to be a golf course superintendent, but where? And if anybody missed it, A, you looked incredibly dapper in your suits and guy cipriano uh, the editor of the magazine wants to know if you wear your suits to the golf course every day because you look fantastic uh and two your your sense of humor was fantastic and it made the two hours fly by uh you know i try to make it lively but um do i wear do I wear my suits out here um you know i i try to share stuff on our social media as um you know that i think is relevant and uh, what's funny is we have, uh, you know, Kansas State, we're, we're the home course of K-State University and, uh, you know, the men's and women's golf teams there. And uh, K-State also has a turf program. So we're very fortunate. We're able to grab a, a bunch of individuals who want to do this for a living um, work out here. And so we were working on a project with those guys on our second fairway and trying to uh, tidy something up. And, um I'm not. I think I. I was. I was. I know I was wearing a sport coat. I'm not sure if I had a tie. I might have had a tie on, but I jumped on a tractor and I was uh, uh, just leveling an area off. And uh, the guys uh, that I was working with, they, they took a picture of it and shared it with um, some of their, their their friends in Kansas City area. And I was like, you know what? Send send that to me, and I'm going to post it on social media. And so I posted it on social media. And uh, you know, social media can be good and it can be bad. Um, I had some some compliments and thought it was great, but I, there was also some individuals who thought I was just there for a photo opportunity. I mean, it, it was it was a fantastic photo opportunity. Don't don't get me wrong, but I was just trying to help them out. I had a little bit of time between some. Some, uh, between a board meeting and a greens meeting, and uh, I just hopped on and, and was doing it real quick. I, that way, it didn't get dirty. I wasn't going to grab a shovel and go in, into the uh, the soil and dirt to dirty myself off. But you know, sitting on a tractor, I mean, you can do that with a suit and tie. So I did that, and you know, I got blasted on social media for uh, for doing that. So, um, but yeah, I, I do that occasionally. Um, <clears throat> being loud and boisterous, um, I can definitely do that, but. A lot of times, I'm uh, I I find myself as more of a, a an introvert. Uh, typically, you know, when I go and uh, to the golf show, I, I find myself as an extrovert. You know, I can be around with with other turf heads and other professionals from around the country, and I can just kind of you know, it's, I just feel like I'm I'm one of them, and can just be you know loud and probably ob- obnoxious at certain times. I think I I was. Uh, 
in that talk. I think I made fun of Carlos a, a little too much, uh, but uh, it was all in fun and love. And so um, I was just very fortunate to be with those three individuals, and uh, those guys are titans of the industry by any means. Your ribbing came across as good-natured, at least from my perspective. I, I hope nobody took it the wrong way. Well, good. I'm glad. And your, we alluded to it earlier, your rainbow ribbon, you had about eight different stickers hanging from your badge, uh, GCSAA member, Golden Tea Club, CGCS, environmental leader in golf, seminar instructor, committee member, grassroots ambassador, speaker. I think you may have been missing a few, and I think next year we can get you either a media ribbon or we can get you like TOCA member. So I think it's <laughs> going to be our goal next year to help you hit double digits in Vegas. Uh, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, I know I've been double digits before. Um, you know, it's those ribbons are, are always uh, uh, fun. You know, when I first started going to, to GIS in, in 04, I, you know, my very first GIS I went to, I went with my uh, with my dad when I was a student at K-State. And um, he always said, you know, you can tell who's who when you walk around because, you know, those ribbons are like generals on there. And so, um a few years ago, another social media thing. I, you know, I, I never, I never typically ever had them all hanging out at one point because, you know, it says GCSA member. It's like, well, we assume you're either a GCSA member or a, a golf course owner or a, an architect or a golf course builder or something like that. Uh, just, just, just because you're going to the show. So, um, a few years ago, after you know, after the Thursday, I went, I went back and I had all these ribbons. I just ended up putting on my name badge. I took a picture of it and I shared it out, and uh, it, it caught wind by um, some friends out there, and uh, um, so it it kind of became a a yearly thing that people were trying to outcompete, trying to get more ribbons uh, that, than I could. Um, but it, you know, it's all in jest and, and and in fun, so that you know they do the hashtag Gourlay Challenge um, with the ribbons out there, uh, and it's always fun. Like this year. I would have everybody come up to me and just see how many ribbons I had. And I, I, I would keep them in my pocket sometimes in case someone comes up with, you know, five ribbons. I'll just put a six on there and just be uh, lighthearted and fun. I know Anthony Williams, um, I think he beat me. Uh, uh, he had more than I a couple years ago. I got him this year. I know Matthew Wharton and I tied, tied a few years ago, but um, I think he cheated a bit. He had a, uh, a fake one on the bottom of his to, to catch up to me, but it, it's fun. Me personally, I have those ribbons. I just, I love uh, being involved in the industry. I love trying to give back because I find that I get more out than I, than I put in. You know, I like being involved and in trying to steal other people's ideas, bring them back to Cover Hills and try to make Cover Hills better. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, this is this is my way of providing for my family is working at Covert Hills, and anything I can do to help bolster um, help bolster that is I'm all in favor of. And I know you had one more trip after GIS out to Palm Desert for the Colbert Hills Founders trip, and you you tweeted out great venue. I just wish my golf game matched. Uh, we can talk about that for a second, but this seems like as good a time as any. You know, just bringing back to Colbert Hills in Manhattan, Kansas, what you learn and, and, you know, ideas you take from others and and adapt to your own course. Curious, because you're 34 now, uh, you've been in this industry pretty much all your life because you were born into it, a third-generation 
turf head third generation superintendent. Um, and that's not something that a lot of people in this industry have. Uh, how, how did you, what was your childhood like growing up in the industry? Well, my childhood was, uh, I have a picture somewhere. Um, I was six months old and they put me on a dozer and they were uh, rebuilding the 16th green at the ladies golf club uh, of Toronto, I believe is what it was. Uh, you know, talking with um, Dick Kilpatrick up in Canada, he thinks it was his dozer. My dad thinks it was someone else's. So, uh, you know, being 34 years ago, we, we don't know. But that was my first job, I guess, sitting on a dozer at six six months old all by myself. I couldn't reach a pedal. I couldn't I couldn't even get off of anything being that young. But my childhood was, uh, w- was cool. It was awesome. I remember, um, you know, there was one of the courses that uh, my dad was golf course superintendent at. Uh, the house was on property. And so just outside the house, he turned – the yard into a, nur- a turf nursery and so it was mowed at putting green height and so you'd walk off the uh, front steps and and there you are right on uh, a turf nursery uh, for the golf course and uh, it, it was cool it was it was always fantastic I remember numerous times um, you know when we didn't live on property when I would go to the golf go to the golf course with my dad sometimes um, he you know he would have a briefcase and he would put it on the front seat and then I would sit on the briefcase and have to get buckled in. That way I can see over the uh, uh, <clears throat> the front dash. But my dad tells a story when I was young, and I had to have been, he says I was three, but I don't think I was that young. I think I was four or five, and they were, they were building a golf course in uh, Ottawa, I believe. And um, at the end of the day, I was out there with them, and, you know, just like some projects happen, uh, you have more vehicles than you have people to drive the vehicles back. And so they had one more vehicle than they could get people back. And so my dad put me on a utility vehicle to drive it back. And he said I, I, I had to be standing up, grabbing the steering wheel, and working the gas pedal while I was driving back. And he said I, I floored it, and I drove all the way back, and I, I drove across the bridge with no, no guardrails. I mean, I don't think he could have caught up to me, but uh, I made it back safe and in one piece. And so, uh, you know, there's numerous stories like that throughout uh, my, my childhood. Your first job was on that dozer at six months old. How old were you when you drove the, uh, the other vehicle back over the guardrail list bridge? Uh, I think I was four or five. Oh, my dad swears I was three. Um, but I just don't think the time frame works out with the golf course that, that I was at. So, uh, I was always small for my age. I was I was a late bloomer to to grow and be tall or anything like that. So uh, if he thought I was three, I could have been twelve by all means. I was short. And your dad, for for folks who don't know, uh, David Gourlay, so many years in the industry, he was, gosh, he he taught at Kansas State for what about eight years. Uh, he was with Standard Soil for decades. Uh, he was at Beacon Hill, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. He was at Summerlee, uh, obviously Colbert Hills for years and years, uh, and he's down in Florida now, right, at uh, Boca Woods? Yes. Yeah, he's the GM or COO of uh, Boca Woods Country Club, a private gated community, 36-hole facility there, and so their director of uh, grounds or director of agronomy, I'm not sure what his title is, um, is actually a K-State grad. He graduated in the mid-90s, Bill Herchert. He's a certified golf course superintendent. So, you know, when my dad took that that uh, position there, he had no idea who it was. And turns out, um, 
you know, this this industry is so small. So he was at K-State for uh, or Cobra Hills in, in Manhattan here for years and ends up working with a, a K-State alum. This podcast is off the course and it's about life and, and anything other than the job, but it's tough to talk about life off the course when you grow up on a course. Matt, at, at what point, whether it was when you were six months old and probably didn't know what was going on or when you were three or four and driving the vehicle and, and flooring it, at what point did you just say or think or just know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to, to follow my dad, to follow my grandpa, to, to kind of just follow the whole family uh, into the golf industry and golf maintenance in particular. You know, I, I think at some, in some way I, I always knew I'd probably be tied in with the golf industry somehow, some way. Um, you know, when I, when I first went to K-State University, um, you know, I wasn't a, a great student. I, I just, I never pushed myself. I didn't care. I was uh, probably lazy, um, especially throughout high school and uh, a few semesters at, at K-State University. And uh, so so lazy enough. I would pass my classes, but uh, just, just barely squeaking by. And so they, they put me on uh, probation because my GPA didn't meet the minimum requirement. And so I was kicked out of school for a bit um, for one semester. And during that semester, I was fortunate. I went and I worked in California under Jeff Marco, uh, CGCS, at Cypress Point. And uh, that's when I realized that uh, I really loved this profession. Um, I loved it so much, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to be um, manual labor for the rest of my life. I wanted to to be um, the best and elevate myself to to be a a golf course superintendent where you can do manual labor and then you can also do, um, you know, the accounting and financials and meetings and, you know, get dressed in a suit and jump on a tractor and all that. And so I think that was, that's when I realized, um, you know, that this is, I need to buckle down. And so I went in front of, uh, a panel of eight individuals at K-State to get reinstated. And uh, they, they fortunately got me reinstated. And uh, I came out with uh, a GPA my last few semesters. You know, I was a 3-3 GPA coming coming out of that. And so from, from going from getting kicked out for low grades, you know, I used to sit in the back of the class, live with all the cool kids. To when I got, got back to K-State, I was front of the class and, and really dove into it and did the best I could. And, um, I was even fortunate to be promoted into my current position with uh, a year left of school. So um, I was doing school full-time and uh, in my current position here at Covert Hills uh, full-time as well. So just very fortunate to do all that. And I I don't know, I think that was my driving force, I guess, was uh, Jeff Jeff Marco really helped me out. That's a pretty good semester away from school for for any reason, whether it would have been an internship or, or just by necessity going out there because you had the extra time. That's pretty awesome. So if if we backtrack a little bit before you wind up at Kansas State as a student, you, I think you said you moved around quite a bit as a kid. And by the time you got to Kansas State, how many times had you moved? I think it was double digits, right? Yeah, I, I think we moved 11 times uh, when I was growing up. Um, I think that's the number, 11. That's pretty wild. And that was like by the time you turned 18, right? Yeah, yeah. So by the time I turned 18, uh, we moved 11 times. I mean, one of the times we moved a block. So does oh. that really count? Uh, I do know that 
uh, my dad and I moved everything in our house that block while my uh, uh, mom and sister were um, visiting family up in Canada. And so it was just him and I with a truck and going back and forth all the time. We may have had other people help us, but I, I, I remember moving a bunch of stuff, him and I, so it was cool. I think when you have to do it yourself, if you move a block, it definitely counts. <laughs> Especially in the summertime when it was, uh, you know, 90s, maybe 100 during the uh, the day. That's your workout for the day. Um, yeah. What, how often did you get to hang out with your dad at the course? Obviously, again, from, from little on, but was this a regular occurrence? Would you go after school or would you go on the weekends? Or when did he have you start doing anything with, with the crew or just watching what he did? You know, I would do a lot of watching. Um, you know, I, I my my first probably paycheck was uh, in 1999 when, when he was working at Summer Lee. I remember during spring break week, um, I went to work with him and, and did odds and ends um, that I could, um, which I was 14 at the time. I don't know if there was legally, I think, you know, here here now you have to be 16 in Manhattan, Kansas to operate a vehicle. And so I was running utility vehicles uh, for, for pay when I was 14. I was taking out, oh, bunker rakes and different odds and ends, any any menial tasks that no one else really wanted to do, I was thrown that way. So when I was 14 was probably when I really started working for him. And then we immigrated to uh, from Canada to the U.S. And uh, legally, I was not allowed to work for the next four years. And so I, I volunteered doing whatever I could. My old man would kick me five bucks out of his wallet or 10 bucks to go bu- go buy something uh, here and then. But um, I I started working on the grounds crew in 03 and um, really started working with my uh, with my dad in, in 07 every day. And so I was uh, director of golf course operations here and he was the general manager uh, at Cobert Hills. And I worked with him every day for uh, six years. I mean, those are uh, six fantastic years that, that I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, walking into his office, just checking in with them, seeing what we could do uh, to either improve the golf course, see what, what I can do to help his his day go better or worse or, you know, anything like that. So it was, uh, it was a fantastic six years working for him, probably the hardest six years working for him as well. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked for your parents or anything like that, but, uh, you know, they, they expect more of you. Um, and so, Working for him really helped build my um, my credentials, I think, or being able to sell a point, and uh, it really pushed me to become better than what I thought was possible. I just want to back up for a second. You said when you emigrated, and, and I do want to talk more about your dad, but you said when you emigrated uh, from Canada, you couldn't work for four years. I'm not up on all the the immigration laws. What is that law? What is that? I don't. I've never heard of that. So yeah. So when we immigrated, it was uh, we were a family of four: mom, dad, uh, me, and my sister. We immigrated from uh, uh, just outside Montreal to Manhattan, Kansas, and so we immigrated. And we came down on a a worker a working visa for my dad, and it wasn't it wasn't an H two B visa. It was uh, I don't I don't recall what it was, but he was the only one that was legally allowed to work in the United States. And so when he came down, and and, and that was his process of of getting us to come come to the states. And then after that, he had to get a different visa um, in order for him to work his work our way to become citizens. 
so after the second visa that he was on, uh, we finally became, um, God, I don't even know all the visas. He would, he would be the expert on it. But in 03, we finally got a, the right visa for all four of us to work. And then in 05, uh, we became permanent residences uh, uh, or permanent residents of the uh, United States. Um, my parents became citizens in, I want to say, 10, 11. Um, I became a citizen in 2015. Uh, and then my sister uh, has not uh, become a citizen. She is still a permanent resident. And so every 10 years, she has to update that. Um, but yeah, it was a 16-year process for me to finally become a citizen of the United States of America. Wow. And four years when you legally could not work and your whole paycheck was just getting tipped out of your dad's wallet. That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, you know, it was it was great. You know, I was, I was able to volunteer at the golf course. Um, I volunteered with um, a few a few entities like the First Tee. Um, so I worked yep. with the of Manhattan for a bit. There was another company called uh, No Stone Unturned where they did uh, uh, stuff very similar to the first team. So it was still tied in with the golf as, as best as possible. And if we back now, now we're forward tracking to your dad. Um, you'd said that you worked for him at Culver Hills for six years, demanding but really, really important six years. After watching him work, uh, for so long, and then working kind of alongside or under, well, I guess working under him as you were coming up, then you kind of work more closely with him. What was the relationship like when you were working every day, just, you know, he's running the show and, and, and you're kind of soaking up as much as you can and, and preparing yourself? What was, what was that process like, working for probably the most demanding taskmaster other than yourself you'll ever work for? Yeah, I mean, like like I said, it was... You know, reflecting back on it now, um, I miss those days. Uh, I do, but I I do recall when when working for him. I mean, it was it was very, very difficult, especially an individual who was, um, you know, he's he's all he has all these accreditations and and terrific degrees and and all that, and you know, he's been in the business for years, and so I always looked up to him, and so I tried to uh, grab as much information or knowledge off of him as possible, but. <clears throat> I would be remiss if I don't tell stories. I like telling stories, but I remember he caught wind that, um, you know, I was looking into uh, getting a dog, um, you know, my first dog for, for myself. And he sat me down in his office and um, he, he does not remember this whatsoever, but I, I remember this, this conversation to the day he sat me down and, we, and he said, so I hear, I hear you're looking at, uh, at getting a dog. I said, yeah, you know, I'd love to have a dog. And, we had dogs all, all throughout, uh, you know, growing up. And he said, you know, w- we pay you to maintain a golf course, not raise a dog. And I went noted, you know, we, I won't have a golf course dog, which, which was, which was weird that, that he said that to me because, um, you know, our two superintendents before me was, had, had a course dog and the dog was fantastic. He was so well behaved. He would stay off greens. He'd stay off bunkers. He never interacted uh, never went in the clubhouse. I mean, the dog was fantastic, but to this day, I remember him telling me that. And so, I uh, I never had a golf course dog, and I still don't. Uh, you know, that that still emulates or, or rings in the back of my head. Um, and nothing to put down individuals who's who have golf course dogs. I mean, I think they're uh, a tremendous asset uh, to the organization. It's just I don't know if I'll ever have one. 
Now I'll bring do- I'll bring our dogs out occasionally to, to go run the golf course if they get wound up in our backyard or our house and they get too hyper and I'll just I'll just run them until uh, you know till exhaustion and and uh, but yeah I remember that conversation to this day. My dad does not remember it whatsoever. More of an impression on you than on him, obviously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There were so many great stories about your dad. Uh, what are some of the other ones, because you are a storyteller, what are some of the other ones that stand out, whether it was when you were at Culver Hills together or when you were younger and just watching him uh, work as you were growing up uh, in the U.S. and in the industry? <clears throat> sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's, 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 you know, I, I don't, I don't remember the details on, on all these, all these, uh, these stories, um, as much as my dad would, but, um, I remember bits and pieces that, that make it remarkable. And I remember my dad was, he was working up in Canada, uh, and he was making somewhere around 18 to $20,000 a year, um, in, in that, in that range. And so he was offered a, a, a job somewhere for, for a little bit more money and uh he turned it down and then he went home and he told told my mom that you know i, I was offered this job and uh, i'm not going to take it and she, and she looked at him and said who do you think you are who do you think you are turning down all this money and so i i believe that one uh might have even tied into coffee his love of coffee and so he was interviewing at this facility up in canada at the time and uh which was Thornhill Golf Club, and uh, my grandfather was a superintendent there for 30-some-odd years, and they actually dedicated the range um, after him, so it's called the Gorlay Range at Thornhill. And so my dad went through the interview process, and while he was there, he walked in for the interview, and they, they said, oh, great to see you, Dave. Can we, uh, can we get you anything to, to, to drink? And he said, you know, a coffee would be great. And they just said, coffee's back there. You know where it is. And so he was... Uh, appalled that he was just kind of treated as a, a, you know, a servant is the way he felt, I think. And uh, he, he turned down he turned down the job over a coffee. Not the only time the coffee factored into him taking or not taking a job. There was a story that you told at GIS. Uh, I think it was 1993. He was at Beacon Hill. Uh, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm just going to let you tell that one because that was the, the my introduction uh, to your dad. I've never talked with him, and uh, I know him really only through the stories that you tell. But, I mean, what a what a story this was. I think you know the one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he was he was working at Beacon Hall. Um, he had built uh, helped build the golf course um, at Beacon Hall, and I think at the time it was it was ranked uh, number two nationally in Canada. Um, and so he was... He was the uh, golf course superintendent, director of operations, director of agronomy, whatever whatever the title was. And uh, he had uh, a friend of his come in and, and join him. And so, you know, it was November up in Canada. You know, it was, it was a miserable day, cloudy, raining. Um, you know, it might have been <clears throat> it might have been one degree Celsius, which is like 34 Fahrenheit. And so just a, uh, a miserable day. And so there, there were, you know, after <clears throat> hanging out, they were having a coffee inside the clubhouse just looking over the looking over the course and just you know chatting and uh <clears throat> the the general manager at the time um came up and and tapped my dad on the shoulder and said i'm 
<clears throat> I hate to bother, but I, I, I don't think you guys can, can be here now. Um, a member might walk in at any moment, and we don't want uh, you to be seen up here um, with them. And, and he was he was appalled and, and taken aback. And so him and uh, his his friend, who was a superintendent, and they they left the clubhouse uh, immediately. My dad uh, apologized profusely, and, and he was so embarrassed. He uh, he went down to his office and wrote his uh, letter of resignation right then and there, and uh, wrote it probably within the hour or two hours, and drove it up and put it on the uh, GM's desk and and resigned his position over a coffee. And I think when you were at GIS, you said talk about some cojones, I'm sweating bullets, just talking about. It. I mean that's that I mean that's that's principles right there, and that's it worked out for him. Uh, I think he landed on his feet within. <laughs> A month or so, but uh, what a what a yeah, story but, there! But 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 to imagine, you know, I was I think I was six or eight at the time. My sister yeah. was uh, seven, seven to nine in, in that age frame, um, and uh, you know, I I just having a kid now. I just I don't know. It's it's hard. It's it would be hard for me to. <laughs> I mean, I I'd probably be so appalled and and, and upset to uh, but to write to. To write a letter of resignation within the hour, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable um, the amount of faith he has in himself to be able to know that he is better than that, to be be able to be treated better than that, and to uh, uh, find a, a job shortly afterwards. And and his job he found was uh, he 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 grew in a a, a course up in Ottawa, uh, Ken Venturi Golf Course, uh, uh, Eagle Creek up there and so he, he built that one and we were there for three years I believe two and a half years and so it was uh, uh, I'm, I'm just amazed in, uh, in his faith in himself that uh, you know that he could go and do all that and he's still going you're still going the Gourlay name in golf though goes way back even beyond just the two of you you'd mentioned your grandfather uh, also David Gourlay at uh Thornhill was it what from like almost thirty years? It was like the early sixties to the early nineties. He was at Thornhill. Yep, yep, right around that time frame. I think it was eighty nine or ninety that that he was. So it was thirty to thirty three years. I'd have to look back at records to know exactly. But he was a golf course superintendent for over fifty years. Wow. And so he actually uh, he was born in just out uh, just outside. I think he was born in Paisley, but uh, uh, lived in Gervin. Ger- uh, up in Scotland, and so he was. Boy, he uh, he was part of the Royal Air Force uh, for for World War II. He snuck in. He was 17 at the time. I think he fudged his uh, his age to to get in. But he he immigrated to Canada with the uh, with the help of uh, Eugene Levy's uh, family, and so Eugene Levy's uh, the actor. Uh, the actor. Wow. Yeah, the actor. And so so he's known as you know for me he's known as. American Pie Dad, you know, it's big bushy eyebrows, but you know, he's he's done uh, lots of things throughout the years, and he's currently in a, a comedy called uh, Shit's Creek. It's so um, funny. I know it, it, it's cool, but you know, his his his. So Eugene's parents uh, were spo- were sponsors of my grandfather, and so my grandfather remembers babysitting uh, baby Eugene. Um, you know, coming to Canada. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. That's so, so good. Um, so that's that's how you know that's how he immigrated into uh, into Canada, and then you know 
his what what he was able to do up there. He was a founding member of the Canadian Golf Course Superintendents Association, so he was you know a distinguished service award winner for the Ontario Golf Course Superintendents, um, the Canadian Golf Course Superintendents uh, Association, and I don't know what what their what their DSAs are called up there, but he was also uh, GCSA. He was a distinguished service award, a, a, a John Morley distinguished service award winner with GCSA back in the late '80s. I want to say. 88 and so he uh he he knew everybody in the industry and so he also was a certified golf course superintendent you know he certified himself back and he was one of the first ones back in the 70s uh pushed himself but he never continued his uh continued education or put the points in for tgcf i don't know if he thought it was worthwhile after obtaining it but uh but yeah i'm a you know Third generation golf course superintendent, and then third generation certified golf course superintendent. And so, um, you know, just trying to be as cool as my dad or grandfather one day would be remarkable. But, you know, their shoes are, are way too big. And so I just try to do whatever I can to be the best I can be. I feel like they may have been able to originate the Gourlay Challenge if you hadn't, with eight <laughs> or nine or ten different colored ribbons on your name badge. Yeah, yeah quite possibly. Quite possibly. But, uh, you know, to, to, to keep going into our, our families, uh, you know, uh, you know, Gourlay's, um, you know, there's not many Gourlay's in the world. And you know, at one point I, I came across a necrology book of all the Gourlay's in the world. And I think there was like 2,000 or 2,200 Gourlay's in the world. And so I would have to be related to, you know, all of them because there's just not many, right? There's There's more Smiths or Washingtons or... Or, any, or anything like that. You're not sure how far back you'd have to go to be tied in with them. But, you know, Gourlay's, um, there's lots of Gourlay's. You know, we talked uh, earlier before this podcast started, there was a, an individual called Molly Gourlay, and she was uh, a, a, a world-renowned golfer. Um, she played in numerous Walker Cups and uh, won different ladies' championships uh, over in, in Europe, and she was uh, an architect. She helped. I think Tom Simpson, uh, she helped renovate uh, or, or construct uh, one of the golf courses at Valley Bunyan, um, as well as other ones uh, throughout uh, Ireland, uh, United Kingdom, and, and Europe. But to, you know, to keep going further back, um, you know, we were the world's foremost expert in feathery golf balls, and so those were kind of in you know 1850s you know before 1850s is kind of when it was and so if you if you would find a, a Gourlay golf ball today you know they're worth thousands of dollars just because it was the titleist in Callaway if there was only one golf ball maker um, that you'd want to play I mean that was what the Gourlay golf ball was back in the 1800s and so you know they were they were they, they built golf clubs too but you know the Gourlay feathery was was synonymous with uh, expert. And do you have any old, old, old equipment in your home with your name on it? I came across one, um, you know, when when I was I, when I was dating my uh, my my my, my wife, um, her uncle collected hundreds of of golf clubs, and I came across one that he had. That was built by a Gourlay, and I thought it was so cool, but I never had the uh, uh, the balls to ask him for it, and so he ended up selling it later on. 
So that was the closest I have come to owning something with uh, either a Gourlay golf ball or a golf club. But, you know, I've had uh, individuals reach out to me through social media uh, uh, and, and Craig up in, up in Canada reached out to me and he's, you know, he's found some clubs and golf balls and all that for, for sale for me. And I just, I haven't pulled the trigger because they're too expensive. But my, uh, my dad came real close to, uh, to having one when he was uh, an assistant at Hamilton Golf Club up in Canada, another uh, I think top five course in Canada. Um, they posted the Canadian Open uh, numerous times throughout the years, but uh, he was put in charge of cleaning out an attic in the clubhouse. And so he was cleaning it out, and he came. He stumbled across a, a, a feathery golf ball with the name Gourley on it, and so he was blown away. And he took this golf ball to the uh, the GM at the time. He said, "Hey, you know, I found this up in the attic. Uh, it's it's Gourley. You know, it means a lot to me. You know, it's it's a feathery golf ball. And uh, you know, is there any way that I could potentially keep it?" And uh, lo and behold, the GM saw some value in it and uh, and kept it for the club. And now it's on dis- I believe it's on display in their clubhouse. So at least others get to see it. It wasn't sold off. It's still there. But that would have been really cool to have. I know it would be cool, but you know, Gourlay golf balls. They're, you know, they're they're in the uh, uh, golf hall of fame. You know, it's in, in in Far Hills, New Jersey. I even saw it when I w- visited the RNA in uh, in St. Andrews. I, I was in there and I, I saw you know a couple Gourlay golf feathery golf balls in there, which was uh, cool to cool to see. So really, I mean, I know it wasn't until you were at Kansas State and you you had your semester. Uh, not by choice off campus that you really knew that you were going to get into this industry. But I mean, you were, you were destined to get into this industry basically from birth. Well, I had to be, um, you know, we, we talked about my, my dad and grandfather, but my, my mom's involved in golf as well. And so my mom, uh, <clears throat> she helped start um, the third soil testing company in North America. Um, I think it might have been the only one in Canada at the time. It was uh, called Standard Soil Consultants. And so she did all the uh, the lab work for, for that. And, um, you know, she helped over 2,000 golf courses with uh, uh, soil tests. And she helped her, her and my dad even helped write the 1993 USGA Green Zone Next. Uh, recommendations and so um, you know she's the smartest one in our family you know when we do these uh, these game nights that we would have trivial pursuit was always uh, one that was uh, that we hated playing my mom my mom never she still wouldn't let me win anything nothing rock paper scissors a game of if we're running 50 yards she would never let me win anything and so when we'd play trivial pursuit as a family it would be my dad, myself, and my sister against my mom, and we couldn't answer one question. She would name, she would get everything. She's the smartest one of the bunch. It's unbelievable the, the, the knowledge that she has. Well, don't let trivia, Not I'm not saying, and, and what is your mom's name? I don't think I've ever met her. Yeah, my mom is uh, Barb, Barbara okay. Gorley, and so she's retired now, but uh, yeah, she was the smartest one of the bunch. So don't don't let her expertise in Trivial Pursuit fool you, though. And I'm not saying she's not incredible, but as someone who has written and hosted bar trivia on the side for the last eight years, I always say to people who say, oh, I don't know anything, I can't play trivia. Trivia is literally stuff you don't need to know. So she just knows more that she doesn't need to know than the whole rest of the family combined. 
Well, I just don't think she forgets anything. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. You know, my my memory and history is, is not great, but, you know, talking with her team here at Cobra Hills, I know the most worthless information, and it just it aggravates them that I know some of this worthless stuff. So, Well, I'm going to drop one thing on you, and let's see. I hope she doesn't listen to this before you get a chance to talk with her, but um, I was coming across for, for random purposes – I, I was looking at Tiger Woods' list of awards and accomplishments, and I saw that last year uh, he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, during a ceremony at the White House. But he was also, last year, and he didn't win, he was nominated for a Teen Choice Award. And so I was wondering, has there ever been someone who has received a Presidential Medal of Freedom and won a Teen Choice Award in the same calendar year because Tiger was close. And there is one person, and it was three years ago. Do you have any idea? This is going to make for great it was, radio. It, it was It was three years ago? Was, uh, well, now four years ago, 2016. Yeah. So fairly recently. Oh, boy. Oh, I have no idea. But the only the only individual that I, that, that I can remember that even has a presidential medal of freedom uh, and, and probably a Teen Choice, I think – Arnold Schwarzenegger might have both of those, but I don't think it was the same calendar year, and it was definitely not four years ago. I'll look if I'll look if Arnold did it, and there were there were probably a few other people who have both, but not in the same calendar year. I think Oprah may, I'm not sure. Um, Bruce Springsteen may, but not the same year. Dylan might, but not the same calendar year. But the same calendar year, 2016. Ellen DeGeneres. Hmm. So store that away and use that at the next family trivia night. <laughs> So, um, I know we're pushing an hour. We've talked a lot about what you've had going on, talked a lot about your family history, and so, so much fun. Anything that we haven't talked about, whether it's your parents or your grandfather or the Gourlays back in golf manufacturing, uh, balls and clubs in the U.K. Uh, into the 1800s, anything we haven't talked about, any stories that you haven't told that you want to? Oh, probably, but 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 I don't know, you know. But but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, uh, my, my wife of, you know, nine and a half years, uh, Jenna Gorley, and then uh, you know our, our wonderful two-year-old son, um, which is uh, we named him uh, Payne, and we named him after one of my favorite golfers of all time, Payne Stewart. And so, trying to come up with a name to to name someone, um, either boy or girl. Uh, I had a couple girl names picked out. But I struggled with with boy names, you know. I met too many Matts that were just jerks, and I was like, "Well, I'm, he's not going to be a Matt, even though even though it's named after me, or um, you know." But uh, you know, it's it's cool. You know, being a father now is uh, is remarkable, and I I can't believe how much it really changes your life. Everyone always says it does, but uh, I felt like I was oh someone close to the Grinch. You know, I had a very small heart, I guess. Uh, I I didn't. You know, I could. I, I never cried. I didn't care about all any much really. And then as soon as my son was was born, I felt like the Grinch, and my heart grew three times the size. And I can read a book to to my son with just tears coming down my face, just because it it, it touches my heart so much. And so it's really changed me. And so we'll see if he becomes the fourth generation. Um, it, that's up to him. If he wants to be part of golf, I'm all for it. If he doesn't, I'm all for it. You know, it's it, it's his life. Whatever he finds that that makes him happy i just i just hope he finds something that makes makes him happy as much as uh you know he makes me happy and working in in the golf industry makes myself happy 
with a name like Payne Gourlay, I feel like he is also destined to be in this industry. But if he isn't, as you said, I'm sure you'll be an emotional wreck celebrating whatever he does in his life because I'm an emotional wreck as a father. So you seem like you've been you've you've fallen into the same the same line of of just being a, a, a crying and 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 uh, I'm just yeah. I sing Mr. Rogers songs to my daughter and I start tearing up. So I understand you completely. Yep, for sure. Uh, anything else you want to plug or promote? Anything? You you accomplished so much in January. I don't know what you're going to do the rest of the month or the rest of the year. But uh, anything you want to plug or promote? Anything you have going on at, at Colbert Hills? Uh, you know, I, I make a I made a joke with um, with Alex Studeman out of uh, TBC Deer Run. I actually in, invited him to come volunteer at our professional golf event that we host uh, every year. It's called. Uh, the Colbert Charity Classic, and it is actually the same time as the John Deere Classic. And so <laughs> Alex promised that he was going to come volunteer for me, but um, I'm not sure if he's going to have a job when he gets back uh, from, from the volunteer work. So, Alex, I'm, I'm definitely holding you to it, and we got you, we got you a spot reserved. So, One of these years. He's been on the show. He was actually the first guest of Off the Course. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I heard, so... Excellent. Well, he's Matt Gourlay at Colbert Hills in Manhattan, Kansas, and he may or may not know what time zone he's in. Uh, I'm Matt Lowell, managing editor of Golf Course Industry. Matt, this was a really, really fun hour. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me, and uh, it, it was a blast. So thank you. Mm-hmm.